0: This week on Missions Today.
1: I fell into the party lifestyle. I tried to get friends the wrong way. Living in a big city like Chicago, there's a lot of places to secretly get yourself in trouble, which I did. And I was even able to hide it from people at church. I could hide it from everybody. I was really good at spinning up a lot of different things. And that came from my story. My parents, again, I said unhealthy relationship with money. They also had an unhealthy relationship with faith that was rooted in some bad theology. And so everything was about performance theater for us.
0: As you might be able to tell, our guest this week did not start out life focused on ministry. But through the power and love of Christ, she found the mission he had for her and today helps facilitate the spreading of the good news of the gospel. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global, Tracy Thomas had some hard times as a kid, followed by some tough times of her own making. But through that process, God used an example from her mom and the arena of giving to mold her into the woman of God she is today. She now serves as the Senior Vice President of Advancement at Biblica, an organization committed to seeing God's Word get to all of those who need it, regardless of the barriers. They describe that mission as whatever it takes. I love that. It's such an encouraging story, and I hope you'll stay with us throughout the program today. Hey, Tracy, thanks for being with us on missions today. Can you tell us a bit more about Biblica?
1: Biblica has been around for over 200 years, trying to break down barriers to the Bible. I think that would sum up what we do in a very quick fashion. From all the different iterations of our mission, we've existed to see people in vulnerable situations, lonely situations, dark situations reached with the hope of Scripture particularly in a format and a way they can read and understand.
0: Let's talk for a moment about your story, and then we're going to come back to Biblica, but tell us a little bit about your faith journey.
1: I was raised around church and only a child to my parents and strayed in, you know, my, my young adult years, as many of us do, found myself in college and just sort of hit that moment of, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I always loved people and I loved engaging with people, getting their stories, hearing about what their life experiences have been. And it was my senior year of college during a work study program, you know, just trying to get by that somebody now I know was a divine appointment threw a chronicle of philanthropy under my nose and said, did you know fundraising is an opportunity for you to engage with people all the time and hear their stories and invite them on mission with you? And so this 21-year-old girl at the time, young adult, said, ah, oh, interesting. So having set up on that journey in Chicago for quite a while and just having the opportunity to travel amazing places meet wonderful people, but there was always just something missing. And that was when kind of had that, where God gives us those opportunities to see the top of the mountain, but then also look down into the darkest places of the world and know that the only thing that can help them is the light of Christ and the hope of the gospel and money doesn't buy you happiness or joy as scripture would say. And so in that I turned my life over to the Lord in my young adult years in a little church in Chicago, where I ended up serving and uh, meeting my husband, having our kids. And all along this journey, it continues to say, it's not to say that life is without troubles, but you are going to experience the joy of the Lord so much more as you seek his purpose and lean into the generosity that he calls us to, whether that's with our time, our talent, our treasure, versus trying to seek it out on our own.
0: So I assume since you kind of made that faith commitment a little later in your life, not as a child per se, or not living it out as a child at least, uh, and began that kind of process after college and getting married, all of that, those early years, you probably weren't thinking about ministry, were you? Was that ever on your radar?
1: (laughs) No, not at all. I wanted to do everything opposite that my parents did. So my parents had... An unhealthy relationship with money, so I decided I was going to have lots of it. You know, that's what my young adult mind told me. I I fought. Um, I w- I wouldn't even call it greed. It was position. It was pride. It was I can do better than this. I was the first person to fight to go to college and make it get a Duke bachelor's degree. Um, you know that that type of poverty that I was that I was moving away from in my world. And so I think, though, that what I learned in all that was that it's a lot better to get help from God. It's a lot better to seek his discernment in all that, because I could get there. But I wasn't very satisfied. And it wasn't giving me that joy that I wanted. And I, you know, I felt I fell into the party lifestyle. I tried to get friends the wrong way. Living in a big city like Chicago, there's a lot of places to secretly get yourself in trouble, which I did. And I was even able to hide it from people at church. I could hide it from everybody. I was really good at spinning up a lot of different things. And that came from my story. My parents, again, I said unhealthy relationship with money. They also had an unhealthy relationship with faith that was rooted in some bad theology, And so everything was about performance theater for us. And so as I undid that as an adult, when you reach that point where your parents become people and the world starts to eat you up and you have to clamor to something, I started to think, well, gosh, I can really do this on my own, but it's not a very fun place to be on my own. And that's when my faith really rooted. Because like I said, I grew up around the church, but it didn't take route for a while.
0: You you talked about getting involved in philanthropy and raising funds for organizations. That's very much what you're engaged with now. And I know you've kind of been through a number of different organizations. Did you immediately, as you began that kind of work, attach it to a A faith element, or did that come later?
1: No, and in fact, I worked for an amazing, large, global nonprofit that had no faith component. It was missional, but it was doing good work in the world of conservation. It's God's great earth. I felt like, okay, I'm on mission. It's not exactly the white-hot center of gospel mission, but it's mission. It was a great year of eight years. And what i learned from that was I learned how to do the job really well. And frankly, when I left that sector to say, I want to join mission, it was this very formidable moment where I was sitting in an ask meeting where we were inviting an investor into a eight figure gift with the mission. And he said, yes, very quickly. And we left the meeting and everyone was celebrating this amazing, you know, feat, probably one of the biggest gifts they'd ever received. And I was full of so much sadness and I went to my car and I just started, they all went out to celebrate. And I said, I needed to go home because I needed to prep. They didn't know, but I needed to process what I was feeling. And my thoughts were all around, if those eight figures were going to the gospel or to missions, what would that do versus what this was this very good cause. But for me, how I'm spending my time and my talents, was it the right thing? And um, God and I had a really good, a really good rumble that day in my car around mission and fundraising and purpose and generosity. And he promised me that he'd help me land in a missional faith-based place soon. And it took another two years. God gives a promise, but sometimes, you know, as we know, as we walk this journey with him, you get a promise. It doesn't mean it's going to come to pass the next day. And it took a solid two more years of waiting for the right opportunity. And when he said, go, but I was able to step into a faith-based nonprofit and start doing fundraising
0: there. I love, as you tell that story, I just posted this phrase that I I can't even remember where I saw it now, but patience is not a lack of action. Patience is not a lack of action. And as you just described that, it kind of reminded me of that, that often we are called in our ministry and our mission and our lives to be patient it doesn't mean there's no action going on. In fact, God is always moving and the action's always happening, and we're probably even learning things in that interim. But but patience often is part of that process of maturity and getting to the place that God's ready to hand us that next thing. So love that story. Thank you for, for sharing that. Well, tell us how you got in touch with Biblica and how that all began for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So connected to them through mutual friends they were in need of some interim support and in how some of these things go sometimes interim is just a great way to get to know each other and say i'm all in <laughs> which is about what happened 7 years ago for me i'd had the opportunity like i said to work in conservation space and then the poverty space and the orphan space for faith based organizations i fell in love with each of those sectors they're all doing such amazing things but one of the themes for me along all those engagements was scripture. So you can no matter where you travel in the world, and you're you're if you're nodding along with me and you're listening, it's because you know what I'm talking about. You've been in that church in rural Uganda or Guatemala or Russia, you name it, and there aren't Bibles in the back of pews like there are here. There aren't and if there are, you know, seven people are huddled around it and they can't take it home. And if there's an altar call and you see the move of God and people get saved, There's nothing to take home with them and follow up and discipleship resources, et cetera. And so when the mission of Biblica was presented to me and the opportunity to give what we like to say radically generous, to be radically generous with the word of God, to take away any hindrances, the barriers to the Bible. So whether it's money, licenses, language, updated language, we needed to pull it away. And so I I was all in. I was all in to see people have scripture because at the end of the day, the Bible says that, you know, nothing will remain but the word of God and the souls of man. And so if I'm going to work towards the souls of man with my life, the word of God's right there in that center.
0: I have found through years and years of ministry that and and radio ministry specifically that listeners tend to gravitate toward anything that is focused on the Bible. And I love that about most of the listeners I've worked with, as you talk about getting the Bible into someone's hand, and it just lights up their eyes, it lights up their heart, and it, it is at the center of who we are as believers, and getting that into the hands of people so important. Uh, just a couple of things about that, uh, about getting involved with Biblica. One of the names that was used by Biblica before as International Bible Society, so I think a lot of people will be familiar with that name and now Biblica, and it's normal for organizations to change names over time, but the Bible's so key to what you all do. And I, I want to go back to the point you just raised, and I saw it all over your website, I've seen it all over your materials, this idea of, of getting past hindrances or barriers for people. Maybe describe for us a little bit of what you mean. What is it that might keep somebody from having access to God's Word, and how might you radically get past that? Maybe a story or two.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, I was just with a group of 150 pastors in Nairobi, Kenya, a week ago, who shared stories with me about how, you know, they're lay pastors, they have jobs, they they're side, they call them side hustles, just like we do. They said, we're pastors for the word of God. We're planning churches, but we have side hustles too. And they keep us busy. And so they're not necessarily theologically trained men and women that are spreading the word of God in Kenya. And they said, without a study Bible, we're, uh, we're going to spread the wrong things. We're going to spread the wrong theology. We're at risk of raising up a nation in Kenya that don't know the truth of gospel in the way that we intend. It's not a malicious spreading of bad theology. It just naturally comes from when you're self-taught, but a study Bible costs $40 and $40 or, you know, 40 equivalent dollars costs is, is significant for a man and woman living like that. That's three months wages we're told. So Biblica is working on both a digital resource, which for some in a city center like Nairobi with easy access, Wi-Fi and um, ability to use digital tools can have digital resources in a study Bible for free, 100% free. And then we're also working on a print Bible that's called a lower cost study Bible that we can print thanks to investors, thanks to donors for more like five or $8 versus the 40, and make that available to these churches with all the truths of the theologically trained contributions that go into something like a study Bible. On top of that, um, when you look at places like some of the darkest, darkest places of the world where churches are persecuted and people risk their life to be carrying scripture we're working on innovative ways that I can't, of course, share all the trade secrets, but things that get scripture in behind closed doors in ways that are masked, guys, we've we've all heard some of our favorite missionaries tell these stories, and they're still going strong today. The difference is, is we, we work really hard to have our, our donors afford to pay for all that. So these pastors might pay a small cost, which they want to, they have something to give, But generally, we don't want people prohibited by the costs of these resources. And then last but not least, Biblica is committed to making as much as our texts are possible free on the Creative Commons, which is an online resource for people to go and download texts in many, many languages. We're releasing more every month. Biblica stewards something like 69 different languages of scripture. And those that are not engaged in a commercial license, we're able to make freely available to other ministries around the world who might need, say, for example, the Zimbabwe and brand new, coming out in a couple months. They haven't had a new Bible in over 100 years, so the young people of that generation in Zimbabwe cannot read scripture in a new and fresh way. They're going to have it made available to them. So if you're ministering in Zimbabwe, Creative Commons will have it come July. (laughs) That's
0: awesome. You know, one of the things we rarely talk about on this program, though we have been talking about missions for a year and a half, only a couple of times have we really focused on what it takes to do missions. And I don't want to avoid that because I've spent years in non-commercial radio and we've raised funds to be able to do what we needed to do with our ministry. Just like when I was at Moody Radio, we did that. We raised funds every year. Uh, K-Love and others, they raise funds to do the work they're doing. Obviously, you have to be able to raise the money to be able to do ministry well. It costs something for all of that to take place, and that's really the area where you live most of the time. Talk for a moment about the importance of people giving to something like this, whether it's a small gift or one of those seven or eight figure gifts, how how important is that to you being able to do what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely, thank you for that question. I've heard a couple of major investors in this space say recently, this isn't even a mission you should have to pray about. And I say that to laugh and joke because very often, especially in our kindness of missional fundraising, we'll say, well, why don't you just pray about this opportunity? And that's a great way to leave a meeting, right? That's that we've presented to you all the things we want to do. God loves this. God loves a cheerful giver. So pray about it. And when this investor said this to me, it kind of jarred me from 20 years of my vernacular of how we run, you know, run a fundraising office. But then I thought about it and I thought that's exactly right. To go back to what I shared earlier about the Bible is very clear about, well, the only thing will last is the word of God and the souls of man and scripture in its formats and forms around the world is is included in there. And so for us there's not much to pray about. So when you hear the the jarring statistics that there's 3700 languages in the world today that still do not have scripture in their language of which 1900 of those 3700 don't even have a verse translated yet. I mean, it's 2023. There are approximately 7,000 languages in the world, and 1,900 of them don't even have an iota, not even like, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? When you hear that as a Christian, no matter what your sweet spot of missions is, I mean, mission and Bible are right at the heart, the heartbeat of every favorite church and ministry that we're involved in. It's just, for me, it's the easiest pitch ever. It's the easiest pitch to say, if you love your word, give to it. And guess what else? We constantly have to be challenging ourselves to love the word of God. Constantly. We've all had those days where the Bible reads like the yellow pages, you know, for those of you out there who remember what the yellow pages were, (laughs) you read through it and it's like, it's not registering. Yeah. We've all had those days. Let's tell the truth. And there's people out there who just you know, 10 people huddle around one one Bible and they want it, they want it, they crave it. It's all they have. They're not distracted by Netflix and Facebook and all the things on their phone as we read it digitally. And so I say that to say um, this space of giving and Bible translations gotten a lot of momentum lately because of the illuminations movement, which we are a part of, which is what I mentioned, those statistics, 3,700 languages approximately, waiting for a Bible, a full Bible in their language. Um, and these 11 Bible agencies, Biblica among them, are working together. Can you imagine 11 ministries locking arms to get to a common goal? What a novel idea. <laughs> and so we've been doing this since 2013. And we have a goal to see um, all access to scripture reached by 20. 20- 33. So we believe that these, all those numbers I just mentioned will go to zero pretty soon by the work of partnership and by the work of fundraising together.
0: That's exciting. That's exciting to hear. And it seems like to me more and more I'm hearing of uh, mission agencies and organizations partnering together to reach people for Christ. And that's exciting too. I love hearing that. I know this is kind of your job, but what does it mean to you when you See these gifts come through, whether it is a big donor or it's a mom and pop who are giving, you know, that monthly gift that at whatever level to just make sure that you're able to continue doing what you're doing. What does that mean to you personally? What is it, what does it do to your heart, to your soul to to see those come in? Because I know it's easy to just see numbers flying in and 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 uh, processing that as just kind of part of an overall goal, but I know you also see those names and you see those. Individuals, even at times, maybe at events where they they come up to you and thank you for the work you're doing. What what does it mean to you personally?
1: Yeah, personally, I think about the widow's might and how it came real for me. I mean, my my we talk about stories and testimonies and all of that. My story of generosity. And people say, why do you do this? It goes back to the answer to your question, which is, I watched my own mother, who, due to some circumstances, had to clean houses to provide for she and I after a season of just some hard times. And on that first, there was a Christmas way back in the way back machine where we didn't have much to do. She promised there wouldn't be much. And she came back that Christmas Eve with a tip from one of her clients. And then we we were celebrating the tip and thought, we'll have an actual Christmas tomorrow. After all, we'll go shopping after Christmas Eve service. We went to the Christmas Eve service and there was a missionary presenting on a Bible translation project that she was working on in Papua New Guinea. And she was home on furlough and the pastor came and she told these amazing stories of Bible translation and getting to know all the people in that community. And the pastor came up and said, we're going to do something we never would normally do on Christmas Eve, but since we have her here, I'm going to pass the offering plate. And anybody who wants to give to this, every dollar will go straight to this Bible translation. And she, my mom took that hundred dollar bill and put it in that plate. And there went Christmas is what this 14 year old thought. And I looked at my mom with these angered eyes and she pointed her finger at me and she said, the Bible says, test me in this. And would you believe that we got home a couple hours later and there was a knock at the door and it was the church benevolence committee with a massive gift basket for our family for Christmas, including food supplies galore for the next day. A thousand dollar gift card to Kmart. Remember Kmart, Colin? Oh, I did. Yeah. Know.
0: yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> um, gas cards, oil changes, things a single mom struggling needed, right? And praise the Lord, 25 years later, I'm working in this Bible space. I told that story to my friends at Wycliffe Bible Translators a couple of years ago. And we got to walk into their library and found the book that my mom helped fund that day in 1994. Opened it up and sure enough, there was the Bible and she had signed it and she wrote, and the people of the church we attended, the year, the day, I was a mess. So for me, (laughs) you ask, what does it mean to me to see the dollars come in, whether millions or whether a dollar, there is a story like that behind every dollar that comes to Biblica. And there's a journey people go on when they choose to release what they have and all that they own to God. And that's a process that's such a sweet and tender process that we will never have the optics to see all that goes on in someone's heart. But on this side of heaven, we get to see how that multiplies in the kingdom to see scripture become real. And I love to hear people tell me their stories of how God moves them and challenges them and takes them out of their comfort zone because you can't sow a bad seed in this type of work.
0: That's beautiful. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That's just a, an incredibly powerful story of, of God at work, even as uh, you were a 14-year-old, and even as you weren't thinking about ministry, that seed was planted, and now you're helping plant those seeds uh, for others and helping those plants grow as well. In this final moment, someone listening today who might be feeling just kind of stuck in their walk, stuck in their mission. Maybe they're hearing from God things that He wants them to do, and they just have not taken that step. They're just trying to figure out what's next. They're maybe a little nervous, maybe a little scared, but they know God has a plan, has something for them, whether it's something He's already shared or maybe just Uh, taking that step of faith for whatever's next? Maybe just a word of encouragement to that person listening today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a little bit today about promises of God and waiting. And sometimes, I know in my journey, every season of waiting has been painful. And I feel like A day can feel like a thousand years in waiting, (laughs) and you wonder, how do I prepare myself for what's next? And so my experience and my word of encouragement is, and without it sounding trite, is that let's wait on the Lord, get in His Word. It is alive and active. Pray, seek counsel, set goals, and then pray. I have looked back on many journeys of my life where I was waiting on the Lord to fulfill a promise just as I'm sure more will come in the rest of my life before I go to glory. And every appearance of a setback was absolutely a setup for what was to come. And so my word of encouragement is even if you're in the setback today, know that it's a setup, know that he's got you in his hand and whatever he's setting up just needs a few more minutes and just be encouraged that there is joy in the journey.
0: Oh, I love that. A setback is just a setup for what God has next for us boy, isn't that the truth? Haven't you seen that in your own life? I certainly have. And though we often only realize it on the backside of events, I love the idea of looking at those life circumstances on the front side that way. So very helpful. Well, if you want more information about Tracy or Biblica, we're going to link you in today's podcast notes. Hey, don't forget as well, this podcast made possible by Resource Global whose mission it is to teach, mentor, and connect the next generation of global marketplace leaders to impact their cities and workplaces for the gospel. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit their website at resourceglobal.org. You can also sign up for monthly updates there. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're gonna learn more about one of the most powerful campus ministries in the world. In the meantime, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Rate it, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with your friends. Hey, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today, a production of Resource Global.